Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Who's excited to be here for week two of new season? New start, where we've been looking at some things that uh, we can do to help us get refocused and recentered on the Lord, Lord as we wind down our summer months, because you, can, you guys know how the summer works. It really is kind of, a, uh, kind of a different time. Our kids are on different schedules. Even if you don't have kids, you got grandkids that are on different schedules. So summer, you, you're just kind of on a different wavelength during the summer months, aren't you? And so as we, as we kind of wind things down, and I know temperature-wise, it doesn't seem like we're moving into a new season yet. Uh, but, but we are, and the reason we know that is because of the start of the school year. And I know Gardner School District started last week, and then um, uh, the, most of the other districts start this week. But the change of seasons, the change of seasons remind us that, uh, how does the song go? Every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. And so last week, we, we, we start talking about this, this new season and new start. And the first thing that we can start is starting our, change our perspective, change our perspective. And that's what we looked at last week. Change our perspective by learning to number our days as Moses prayed in Psalm 90, which is just a, it's just a poetic way of reminding us that we, we have a limited number of days on this planet, which is why we need to learn to spend our time wisely. And that's uh, it, having this eternal perspective is, is one thing that kind of helps us get recentered and refocused on the large picture of why we're here in the first place. Something else that will help us get recentered as we transition from, from summer to fall and the start of a new school year. And it's what I'm calling a new focus. Last week, we looked at a new perspective. This week, we're going to look at a, a new focus, having a new focus. And this is different from perspective. perspective. Perspective is how we think about something. Focus, okay, focus is when we give attention or effort to something. So another way to put it would be perspective is recognizing the need to make some changes. Focus is putting a plan of action together to actually make those changes, all right? So... A couple weeks ago, I sent out a text to some, uh, some moms in our church asking them what their greatest concerns were as they think about the change of seasons that we're entering and beginning a, a new school year. Not surprisingly, most of the feedback had to do with how their kids would do at school. Would, would they make friends? Would they make good friends? Uh, would they be bullied? You know, sadly, that's, that's kind of a, a part of our culture and society today at, in education, uh, so some parents express, uh, moms express concern about their kids being bullied. One mom mentioned concern about her kids uh, riding on a bus with older high school kids uh, where they can be exposed to uh, conversation that little, little kids don't need to hear. And as someone who drove a school bus for about 30 years, I can tell you that's a valid concern. Uh, that is a valid concern. And that's why I did have kind of an age-appropriate seating chart uh, on my bus. And so I had the little ones sitting up by me. But I will tell you this, parents, you might be amazed what your little ones say about you. Just saying. Just saying. They're sitting right behind me in the first few rows. Out of the mouth of babes. I tell you what, I got more sermon illustrations in the last 30 years driving that school bus than any other thing. So, yes, this, this can be a time of the year that can be stressful for many of you, especially if you have children. But when it comes to the topic of stress, here's, here's what I want you to know. When it comes to the topic of, of stress and anxiety, 
See, what most people want, most people want someone to tell them, how do I get rid of my stress? That's what you want from me. All right, pastor, tell me how to get rid of my stress. Isn't that what you want from me? You want to get rid of your stress? So you want me to tell you how to get rid of your stress. But here's the thing. Until you change some things in your life, it doesn't matter what I tell you, even if it's out of God's word. Until you change some things in your life, anything I share with you, even principles from God's word, if they do work, they're going to be short-lived. They're going to be short-lived. Because when it comes to the topic of stress and anxiety, most of that goes back to a lack of focus, a lack of attention to detail on our part to certain things that creates that stress and anxiety. And we're going to look at another psalm this morning. Last week we looked at a psalm that Moses wrote. We're going to look at a psalm that David wrote. David did end up, he wrote, he wrote most of the psalms. And the one we're going to look at this morning is one that David wrote. It's Psalm 62. And in this psalm, David actually underscores two areas that, that if we have a lack of focus, if we have a lack of attention to detail in, can create some angst, some stress, and anxiety in our lives. So Psalm 62, let's read it, beginning at verse 5. Find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. Verse 7. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, you people. At all times, trust in him. Pour out your hearts to him for God is our refuge. And then, and then the psalmist concludes this sentence with a word that's found 77 times in the Psalms, and it's the word selah. The, the, the English transliteration would be S-E-L-A-H. And it's a musical term because the Psalms were actually songs. They, 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 were, they, were, they were written by, you know, David or, or Moses or whoever, but, but then they were put to music. So they actually became psalms. And, and selah is a, a musical term that means Think on these things. Or more literally, stop and think about that. Just pause and think about that for a while. That's sort of what we do during our 21 days of prayer. It's a time when we are a little more intentional about stepping back and pausing, leaning into the Lord, trying to, trying to be a little more attuned to his voice. That's why we set aside within those 21 days of prayer three specific times to come together for corporate prayer and during this particular 21 days, we're meeting on Wednesday evenings, as Kyle said, 7.30 to 8.15. And look, if you're not sure if, that, if that's for you, you know, this, this idea, because some of you maybe have never prayed in a like, corporate prayer service, and you're not sure how that works, or, you know, is that something I would really want to come to? Um, if that's you, I want to encourage you to talk to Marie Raby, because Marie came to our Wednesday evening prayer service this last, last week. I think that's the first one she had been to. Thursday morning, she sent this text to Kyle. I want to read this. And I asked her if I could share this. And she said, yeah, I'm just sharing part of the text, but this is what she said. She said, as soon as I walked in and felt the Holy Spirit surrounding us, I can't ever remember praying for 20 solid minutes before. As soon as I walked in, I felt the Holy Spirit surrounding us. And I can't ever remember praying for a solid 20 minutes before, but I did last night. And then she talked about how, because we had a little bit of time that we broke up into either like two or three people and had us pray for each other. And she talked about how she prayed with Jessica Pritchett and, and how Jessica was such an encouragement to her during that little, little time of one-on-one -on -one prayer. I'm telling you, man, the Holy Ghost must have jumped on that Methodist girl because Marie was excited about coming back. So if you're unsure about Wednesday evening prayer, if that's for you, talk to Marie. 
Because she would tell you, no, it is worth coming. It is worth coming. Let's go on to the next verse. Verse 9. David is going to, in these next two verses, David's going to touch on two areas that always top our stress chart. Surely the lowborn, and this is a reference to just average people. That word lowborn, he's just talking about, that's just the average person. Surely the lowborn are but a breath. In other words, they're here one minute and they're gone the next. And then this is just another reference to, to the passing of time, the quick passing of time. The highborn, and this is a reference to those that we would consider as having achieved some level of success in this life or some type of accomplishment. The highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing together. They are only a breath. And so David's saying that those that we would point to as, as having achieved some level of success or, or some type of accomplishment in this life, he's saying for many of them, it's just it's all a house of cards. It's all a facade. It's not real. It's going to come tumbling down. They're not as happy and successful as you think they are. That, that's what David is saying there was watching the Netflix special this past week on Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel. For the uninformed, Johnny Football was the first freshman to ever win the Heisman Trophy, college football's most prestigious award. He was drafted in the first round by the Cleveland Browns, and they drafted him to be their next franchise quarterback. But because of his reckless, selfish lifestyle, his life spiraled out of control, and he crashed and burned. And not even two years after being drafted by the Cleveland Browns in the first round as their next franchise quarterback, Johnny Football was a nobody living back in Kerrville, Texas with his parents. One line in the, the documentary jumped out at me. And this is, at, this is when he was at the peak. He had signed that $8 million bonus with Cleveland. And this is what he said. This is, a, this is a statement that we've heard other people make, similar, similar people that, that the psalmist calls high-born, those that we would consider being successful. Here's what Johnny Football said. I was finally at a place where I had everything I ever wanted, and I was never more empty than at that time in my life. I was finally, he had everything, had the money to buy it, he had everything he ever wanted, and I was never more empty than at that time in my life. Why is that? Why is that? Because he, just like you, just like me, were created with a higher purpose. A higher purpose than anything that this life has to offer. But what I want you to notice is the end result is the same for both. The end result is the same for both the lowborn and the highborn. They are but a breath. In other words, their time is short compared to eternity. Let's look at the next verse, verse 10. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. In other words, don't fall in love with that stuff. Don't think that those things, those riches are going to make you happy because they won't. They won't. So in this passage, David addresses two areas that can create stress and anxiety. Time, how we spend our time because we're nothing but a breath, and money. He talks about riches. Now, what's interesting, what's really interesting about this is, these are the same two things that statistically show up at the top of everyone's stress chart year in and year out. You think God knows what he's talking about? They're actually second and third. Time and money. They're actually second and third. The top stressor we're going to talk about the next two weeks in our series, and that's relationships. 
But here, the psalmist talks about the wholeness or the entirety of our life being weighed in light of eternity. In other words, he's saying that much of our stress and anxiety comes from our use or rather misuse of our time and our money. Time. Again, we talked about this last week. I'm not going to belabor the point a whole lot, but this is so, so, so very important. If your desire, if your desire is to have less stress in your life, and I'm assuming that's what you want, right? How many of you say, how many of you say, I want less stress in my life? Does anyone say I want more? Good. That, that's what we want. We want less stress in our life, right? Okay. Here's what you need to know. You cannot get done the things you truly care about. You cannot get those things done with all the other things that you've added to your life. And and I don't even know your schedule, but I can confidently say that because I know human nature. That's how we are. We think we can do it. We think, here's a a statistic for you. Our generation will work 181 hours more than our parents did in a given year. That's the equivalent of another month, which means we're working, we're cramming 13 months of work into into 12 months. No wonder 80% of mothers say they feel an unbearable amount of stress. 70% of those mothers say they're sleep deprived. Can I hear a good amen from the moms out there? See, when we think of time management, here's how we think about it. We think, here's my life. Now, make it all fit together and work out. But it doesn't work that that way. Here's why. It won't fit. It will not fit. It never will. No matter how much you try, it will not fit. And that is creating stress and anxiety and tension in your soul, in your marriage, in your family, and maybe even at work. Now, see, here's the thing. Here's, 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 here's why we continue to do it. It's doable. We can do it. But just because we can do it doesn't make, mean it's good for us, right? But that's what trips us up. We, we can do it. We can manage it. So we think that we're good. You realize that during the course of your life, you're going to eat out 14,411 times. Of those, 1,811 are going to be at McDonald's. You're also going to spend 13 years, four months watching TV. You're also going to spend five years waiting in line. Aren't you glad you came to church today? You're going to spend a year looking for things you've lost. You're going to attend 35 weddings. And you're going to drive 627,000 miles. That is 25 times around the earth. The point being, here's my point. I think you've got plenty of time. I think we have the time, folks. I think it's just a matter of figuring out how to manage our time better. That's where the issue is. You need to be more intentional about how you manage it. So I'm going to make a statement. I can't tell you how important this is. In fact, last week's sermon about numbering our days was kind of laying the foundation for this next statement that I'm about to make. And here it is. You can't continue doing what you're doing. You just can't. And until we come to that place of getting refocused on what life is really all about and what's really important, if you're not careful, you're going to burn out. And here's a definition of burnout. Burnout is a syndrome resulting from stress that has not been successfully managed. In other words, see, and th- that's an important thing to note because basically what it tells us is, look, stress is, a, stress is avoidable. We can avoid, because stress is just how we respond to pressure. Now, pressure is unavoidable. 
Jesus made that clear. In this world, you're going to have trouble, tribulation. You're, you're going to have stress in this world, all right? Or you're going to have pressure. But how we respond to pressure, see, that, that, that usually that's what stresses us out. And that is avoidable. That is avoidable. And this is something that, unfortunately, I learned the hard way. For about, we're trying to figure that out, 11 or 12 years, um, I actually worked four jobs. I worked four jobs. I was a pastor here. Uh, I was the recreation director in town. I was a substitute teacher, and I was a, and I was a school bus driver. And, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a lot of jobs, but the nature of the jobs, the nature of the schedules of each of them, I, I was able to manage it, all right? Now, uh, when I look back on that time, I can't believe, I can't believe how stupid I was to try to do all that. But at the time, I was just trying to make the extra money, you know? Because, you know, our, our kids were getting at the place, you know, Chelsea was already driving, I think Evan was getting ready to drive, you know, so you kind of have these other expenses that, you know, you kind of come up. So I justified it. I talked with the board here that they were okay with it. But looking back on it, man, that, that was a monumental mistake. I, I never should have tried to do that. Never should have tried to do that. Now, having said that, I will say this. God, as only God can do, was able to redeem that time. By that I mean to say, because even though I was managing that, okay, and it probably wasn't healthy for me mentally, emotionally, maybe even spiritually, but here's what God did. It was through those different jobs that I connected with many of you, right? In fact, many of you here this morning, the first time you met me was through one of those jobs, right? One of those jobs that I was doing. So what I'm saying is, you know, God had a way of kind of redeeming it because it it all worked out in in that eternal plan that he had. But honestly, at the time when I was caught up in it, that was probably one of the stupidest things that I ever could have done. And fortunately, my wife didn't leave me during that time. She was still there. She was waiting for me every night when I got home. Thank you, Jesus. So here's the thing. You want less stress in your life. Begin by taking a hard look at your time management. Look at, look, at your, look at your schedules. Take a hard look at that. And then the other area that the psalmist mentions that we need to get refocused on or, or, or evaluate is money or riches. He calls them riches here. When talking about riches, I want to begin with this statement here. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. It's better to have less of what doesn't matter and more of what does. Because the wisdom of life consists of the elimination of non-essentials. And this is hard because this is so counterintuitive to us, isn't it? This is so counterintuitive because we grow up in a culture that tells us more is better, right? I mean, that's just, we we grow up in North America where, yeah, more is better, right? If $1 is good, $2 are better, right? If one Krispy Kreme is good, two Krispy Kremes are better, Scotty said amazing, right? If one car is good, two cars are better. If one kid is good, two kids are? Some of you, ah, is that a trick question there, right? If one wife is good, two wives are wrong. No, 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 that's for another sermon. It's like the seminary student sitting in an Old, class, in Old Testament survey class once, and he asked the professor, Professor, how come Solomon had so many wives? The professor said he had so many wives in the hope that when he came home from work each day, at least one of them might be in a good mood. <laughs> no, no, we, lo- we love our wives one at a time, right? We-, we love our wives, right? 
Solomon, who apparently said, do as I say, not as I do. Listen to what Solomon said. Better one handful. Yeah, but I got two. But, but, but I've got two hands. So, just because you have two hands and can make it work, that doesn't mean it's better. Better one handful. Why, why, why is that better? Because the people that just have one handful, they have what you're looking for, what, you're, what, what you want. No stress, tranquility. Better one handful with tranquility, with peace, than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Tranquility, peace of mind, comes from having margin. Margin in your schedules, margin in your finances, how you manage your money. One of the most misquoted verses in the Bible is a statement about money that the Apostle Paul made to his young protege, Timothy, once. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. But I want to back up a few verses to kind of give some backstory, some context for what Paul is saying here. 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with, with what? Contentment. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Take a look at your life. Make sure you're not letting the affluence of living in North America make you greedy, which is easy to do because the only, the only thing we have to compare it with are other people who are caught up in the same affluence as we. All right? So take a look at your life. Make sure you're not getting caught up in the affluence of North America. Make sure you're not greedy. All right? You realize that people who are classified as poor here in North America would be classified as as at least middle, some, in some parts of the, the world, upper, upper middle class. You realize that, don't you? Those that are considered poverty here, lower class, would be considered at least middle, if not middle, upper class, other places around the world. See, that's why Americans struggle with contentment more than any other country, which is why the Apostle Paul tries to bring some perspective in this next verse in 1 Timothy 6-7. For we brought nothing, nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. As, as Tony Evans says, you don't see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. Why? What's the point? We brought nothing into this world, we take nothing out of it. Verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content there's that word again, content with that. This is Paul's way of encouraging us to simplify our lives. Just simplify your life. Verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and even destruction. And this next statement made by Paul has become one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, for the love of, it's not money. Money's not the root of all evil. The love of money. The wrong understanding of money, the mismanagement of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it's the root of all kinds of stress as well. In fact, it's the number one stressor in marital conflict, finances. It goes on. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. Think about that. People have actually walked away from the faith because they, they couldn't handle their money right? That's amazing to me. And pierced. Some have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And I can't think of a better definition of stress than being pierced with many griefs. So the psalmist warns us. The apostle Paul warns us. So what do we do, though, pastor, if we're already there? What if, what if we didn't heed the warnings of the apostle Paul and, and David and the psalmist 
What if we didn't heed those warnings and now we find ourselves stressed out with little or no margin in our time, in our schedules, and in our finances? How do, how do we get rest for our souls at this point, Pastor? Well, I'm going to give you three principles to help you get back on track from the summer drift and guide you in how you can spend your time and money and lower your stress levels. First principle is this. Live with a sense of purpose and urgency. Live with a sense of purpose and urgency. One of the best ways to get clarity when it comes to making decisions and about how to manage your time and manage your money is to define what your life is all about. Just think about what, what, what is my purpose anyway? Because see, if you know what your purpose is, if you know what your life is all about, then it helps dial in what you should say yes to and what you should say no to, right? If you know what your purpose is, that will help you when it comes to making those decisions about what we do or what we don't do. And if James is correct, if the brother of Jesus was correct, and our lives are nothing but a vapor, a mist, here one minute, gone the next, and if we're people of purpose and a sense of urgency for that purpose, then we should live our lives as intentionally as we can towards that purpose. But that presupposes that we know what our purpose is. And fortunately for you, here at Family Church, we are passionate about helping people discover their purpose. And we do that through our what we call our growth track, which consists of four steps that you need to know about how to discover your purpose. And they go in this order. Number one, we want you to find God, or excuse me, know God, not just, not just know him, draw mental assent to him, not just know about him. No, we want you to, to fall in love with him. We want you to read his word and, and pray to him and hang out with other believers that, that, are, that are on that same journey discovering their purpose, right? Part of discovering your purpose, part of discovering your purpose is first coming into a personal relationship with God. Another part of discovering your purpose also includes settling the issues of your past because we all have a past. We all have past hurts, habits, and hangups that we need to move past. And we call this find freedom. You come to know God in a personal, profound way, and then you find freedom. And we think the best way to find freedom is when you connect with other folks who are on the same journey that you are. And you get yourself in an environment where you can take the mask off and get real with someone about your struggles. And we'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks because we start launching our, our fall growth groups. But how do you discover your purpose in life? First, by entering into that personal relationship with your Heavenly Father. Then by connecting with other believers who can encourage you as you let the Holy Spirit set you free from the issues of your past. And then that postures you to discover purpose. Yeah, that's the third step. Again, you, you cannot make wise decisions about your time and your money if you don't know why you're here. Like what Mark Twain said, the two most important days of your life the day you were born, and then the day you find out why. And as soon as you discover why you're here, as soon as you discover your purpose, that's the moment you become wiser in the decisions that you make about how you spend your time and how you spend your money. Because that's when you realize, that's when you realize that the wisdom of life consists not in more, but in the elimination of the non-essentials. So when we begin to live our lives through the grid of knowing him and making him known, being set free, discovering why we're here, that's when our lives really begin to, and that's the fourth step, make a difference. Begin to live our lives for something bigger than us. God, God called every single one of us to live our life in a way that would outlast us. Live our lives in a way that, that would change other people's lives. Live our lives in a way that there are people in heaven right now, when we get there, will say thank you. Thank you, because I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. How cool would that be? 
That's the purpose for living our lives now. Stress comes when our lives are all about us. And, and, and we're too attached to this planet. The less attached to this world are, the more our stress levels will go down. When we live for something or someone else, stress goes down. And I promise you this. I promise you this. If you figure out how to manage your time and your money, yes, your stress levels will begin to subside. And you do that by knowing why you're here and living with a sense of purpose and urgency. Second principle that will help you get rid of some of the stress and anxiety in your life is put first things first. Put first things first. This is, this is about priorities. This is about getting your priorities in order. And, and this is going to look different for everyone. For example, in my life, in my life, I'm going to put, I'm going to put my wife first. You know, obviously I put God first. You know, I make sure he's first. I also put my wife first as well. I put our children I put our 14, soon to be 16 grandchildren first, because after all, you only get to make memories once, right? And just this last week, we got to make memories with two of our grandkids, our Colorado grandkids, Winter and Guster, stayed at Gramps and Grammys all week, and boy, did we make some memories. And I got to tell you this, you have not lived till you have binge watched one and two seasons of Bluey. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> And if you don't know who Bluey is, consider yourselves blessed. <laughs> what happened to the old Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Yosemite Sam good cartoons? But anyway, one area, one area where first things first looks the same for all of us is in our weekly gathering together to worship, what, what, we're, what we're doing right now. I say that because for some of you, listen, for some of you, your new start is getting back into the habit of coming here on Sunday morning. For some of you, that's your, that's your new start. That, that, that's what you need to do, right? Matthew 6, 33. This is the very first Bible verse I ever memorized. But seek, what? First. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All those other things, they'll take care of themselves. That's what God's saying. Is. So, so just, just put him first in your time, in your schedule, in your finances, and he'll take care of you. He'll take care of you. Make his kingdom your purpose, and he'll create margin in your schedule and in your finances, and your stress levels will begin to go down. Psalm 62 tells us if we'll fix those two things, how we spend our time and how we spend our money, find rest, O oh my soul, is what the psalmist says. How? How? Because I know why I'm here, I know my purpose in life, and I live with a sense of urgency towards that purpose. Recognize you can't do everything, but commit to doing the big things first, the important things first, the ones that count, the things that will outlive you. You want less stress in your life? Clear out your daily, weekly, or monthly schedule and begin living with a sense of purpose and urgency. And then the third thing, the third principle, keep your heart set on heaven. Keep your heart set on heaven. Live with a sense of purpose and urgency. Put first things first and keep your heart set on heaven. If you do those things, your stress levels will go down. Trust me. Hebrews 13, 14, for this world is not our home. We're looking forward to our everlasting home in heaven. It's hard to keep your heart set on heaven living in this broken world, isn't it? It's hard to do, but it's so important. Over the past couple of years, Sue, well, we both, but more Sue than me, has had some, some very close and dear friends um, 
pass away. And, uh, and, and I think in almost each of those, every single one of those instances, it was, it was cancer. Um, and uh, it was hard because she, uh, she was praying for them. And, and when my, look, my wife, you need to know, when my wife prays for you, uh, she's consumed with it. She gets up in the middle of the night. I'm just saying. When, when she prays, she, she really wrestles that to the ground. And, and in each of these instances, th- th- it was a burden on her, and she, she would pray and pray and pray in each of these situations, and to a person, um, each one of them ended up passing. That's hard. That's hard, you know, because she didn't have a faith crisis, but man, you come to the point where it's like, and she actually said one time, she said, maybe I should quit praying for people, they might die. You Come on, you've been there. You've been there. That, that's a hard place. That's a hard place that, that we will never fully understand this side of heaven because the command of God's word, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep praying. And so that's what we do. That's what we do. But earlier this week, we, we were coming home, I think, from Gardner. We're driving down the highway. And just out of the blue, she said this. She was talking about how even though that she misses, she misses these people. We're talking about Gail Souders, talking about Lena Shelton talking about a friend of hers, Judy Fumler, talking about her, Jana, a friend of hers. Even more recently, Martin, Jessica, and Derek's, uh, Jessica's dad, Derek's father-in-law. We got to know him and his wife during that time he was on. But she said this. She said, you know, even though, even though it's hard and we miss him, she said, I'm so jealous. She said, in a morbid kind of way, I'm, I'm so jealous because they're living their best life right now. And they are. And you know what? Given the choice, they wouldn't come back, even if they could, because they are living their best life. See, living here in North America, I think we get spoiled. And if we're not careful, we're going to get this mindset or this expectation that, that if God really loved me, then things would, everything would work out in this life. Can I tell you, dear ones, if that's your expectation, you're setting yourself up for a stress-filled life. You are. I'm just saying. You're setting yourself up for a stressful life. Because when someone dies, it's going to drive you crazy. Because selfishly, you still want them, you want to be with them. But when you understand eternity, then you'll realize you'll get to see them again. But what if we don't know if they went to heaven, Pastor? Ha. Huh. That's where our urgency and purpose come in. That's where our sense of urgency and purpose come into play. We need, we need to know. We need to tell them. They need to know that God's got a plan for their life and a future for them. One time the disciples were going through a change of seasons. It was a particularly stressful time. Jesus was about to leave, and they, they still didn't fully understand it all. But they were anxious, a little bit stressed out. And I want you to look at what Jesus told them. In John 14, verse 1, this is a passage that I read at almost every graveside service, committal service that I do. Don't let your hearts be troubled. No, don't get stressed about this. That's what Jesus said. Hey, look, don't get stressed about this. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then look where he, look where he takes them here. You'd think he would have said, now come here, guys. Come here and let's get in a circle and, 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 and let me pray for you. But that's not what he did. 
Look how he encouraged them to deal with their stress, their troubled hearts. Verse 2, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? I would not be doing my job as your pastor if I gave you this message and left you with the expectation that if when you get your time and money in order that you'll never experience stress or anxiety again, sorry, that's just not true. Because Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have struggles. You're going to have stress. It's just going to happen. But the good news is you can have ultimate peace, rest, and even joy in the midst of your troubles. How? How? Because at the end of the day, Jesus offers more than just a better now. He offers a better place. At the end of the day, Jesus offers more than just a better now. He offers a better place. And the most important decision, listen, the most important decision you can make today or any other day for that matter is, are you ready to go to that place that Jesus has prepared for you? Are you ready? Bow your heads and let me pray for you. Lord, I I pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, show each of us what, what part of this message was for us. Those that need to take a hard look at their schedule and how they spend their time, Lord, I pray that they would just have that open and honest discussion with you, with their spouse if they're married. Those that don't have any margin in their daily schedule, it's catching up with them. Yeah, you, you may be making it work right now, but, but at what cost? Because according to God's word, it is costing you something. No matter how well you're managing it now, I'm telling you, it's costing you something. You're only 20 once. You're only 30 once. You're only 40 once. There are no mulligans when it comes to how we spend our time. So help us get refocused and begin living our lives with a sense of purpose and urgency, making sure that we're putting first things first and keeping our hearts and our eyes set on heaven. Fill us with peace and rest that you promised as we submit our finances to you as well as we step back and take a look if you're here this morning and you got a troubled heart listen to the words of Jesus who said you believe in God believe also in me and that's what I'm asking you now not if you believe in God but do you believe Jesus Christ is the son of God who gave his life for you If not, it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer where that can happen. You would just say, say, Lord Jesus, I know my life is broken and I can't fix it. I know because I've tried. So I surrender my heart, my troubled heart, and my stressed out life to you. I believe that you're the son of God who died for me and rose from the dead for me. And I believe that you have a place prepared for me in heaven. So right now, I give you my life and I receive your life in return. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me begin living my life for you. In Jesus' name.